0: Good morning, Harlem. It's good to see you guys. Feel like it's been a while. You know you, you know you got a happy marriage when you start writing songs. I can't remember Dylan writing any songs before he got married to Diamond, so. Sister, you keep inspiring that brother to do some spiritual things. I missed you guys. I just got back from Charleston, South Carolina, family reunion of over 700 family members. And let me tell you something. I needed some Jesus after all that time around family. So it was good to be back. We just got back from that. And then Zalika had their family reunion yesterday. So I'll be driving back to Pennsylvania after I preached this message to finish up a weekend with the Proctor family. Uh, But I tell you, when you're around your earthly family, you're grateful to be a part of a spiritual family. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that my earthly family is, you know, jacked up, even though there's a few of us who are. And I throw myself in there. But I tell you, it just makes you appreciate being a part of a spiritual family. And, and I'm going to talk about that today because I think part of what makes me grateful for the spiritual family that we're a part of is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, today we are going to conclude our love one another series with uh with that very one another command that I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes. But let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we want to thank you so much for preparing us for the spiritual war. Uh, We thank you for uh, being a God of second chances like our brother Clive had reminded us today with the communion message, God. We also want to thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and in the church. And God, we ask that you will continue to move the hearts of the leaders of our country and abroad to help us uh, to have peace with one another Father, to to learn how to live in a society with one another, God, I pray that you will help uh, those who govern us, those who lead us uh, both locally and uh, in our governments, God, to help us, steer us to uh, peaceful and and loving uh, communities, God. Uh, Father, we also pray that we in the church can mirror what we want to see happen in the government and our societies around us. Because we know that you left us here for a reason and for a purpose. And that's to show the rest of the world that loving one another is possible. Let my words be yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard Robert Brace did a great job last week. I thought you guys would be encouraged to hear from our brother Brace. Uh, You know, the topic we're going to talk about today as we wrap up our Love One Another series is something I believe... That is one of those more important and weightier matters that Jesus had talked about in Matthew 23. And, you know, as I traveled through uh, and spent time with my family and and Zalika's family, and, you know, you, you just kind of, as you have all these conversations, you realize that, you know, there's there are people who, even though you're a part of a family, you don't always feel like you're a part of a family. Have you ever felt that? Like, Man, you can be in a room full of people and still feel invisible, still feel alone. And as I spoke to people, I found out why some of our family, even though we were 700 people, how could you still not feel a part of the family? And it's because some people do not feel accepted by the family. And when you don't feel accepted, how can you feel loved? Right? Right? How can you feel loved? So let's face it. You don't feel loved because you don't feel accepted. And one of the escapable truths about parenting is that if a child does not feel accepted by their parents, they don't feel loved by their parents. And I think in every parenting class, that message needs to be echoed. It needs to be repeated. It needs to be reminded that we accept our children. You know, my kids are not like me. We have, they have little, you know, like Noah can be like my, he's like my little mini-me. But our personalities are totally different. My daughter and I, we have some similarities, but there are differences. You know, my daughter, her fashion sense is totally different than mine and my wife's. But we accept our children. They've had some crazy hairstyles. Noah has a mohawk. I never had a mohawk. And I try to convince him otherwise, but dad, I like that hairstyle. Now, what will make him feel loved if I forced my baldy on my son or if I just accepted his choice? What do you think would make him feel loved? You want to wear that mohawk? You go ahead and wear that mohawk. It doesn't, It's not a big deal. And I think sometimes kids don't feel loved by their parents because their parents want to enforce so much of their beliefs and their uh, their way and their opinions on their kids because we're afraid we don't want our kids to turn out wrong. Now, there are some things that the Bible is very clear we need to impress upon our children. But are they disputable matters? And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But what's really important is that our kids feel loved by us and the path to love is acceptance is acceptance you know one of the great things about our church is its diversity i love talking about how diverse our church is but we're not the only diverse church you know we're proud of being one of the only groups who was focused on discipleship and and discipling relationships well guess what we're not the only church that speaks about discipleship anymore in fact they're there are denominations that are now repenting of, of not talking about discipleship. And they're holding entire conferences trying to get people back to what Jesus called discipleship. Now Jesus says that what will set his church apart from the rest of the religious world is their love for one another. Their love for one another. And acceptance is a big part of that. Acceptance is a big part of that. Now, if you truly love, if we truly love one another, then we have to learn to accept one another. Does that make sense? In Romans chapter 15, verse 7, turn in your Bibles there. It's right there behind me. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. See, here Paul is talking to the Roman church. He's saying to accept one another. He doesn't give a whole lot of qualifiers here, right? He doesn't say unless or after they, no, he says accept one another. Then he gives the purpose behind it just as Christ accepted you. And then he says the ultimate goal is to do what? Bring praise to God. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about What accepting is and what it's not. Because I think we also got to be very careful to not let the world influence us as to what to accept and what not to accept. All right? Because that's a big difference. You know, what does it mean to accept one another? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, I believe that the Roman church was the perfect group for this experiment of accepting one another. It was a mixed group of Jews and Gentiles. So you had those who were called God's people from the beginning. They, 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 they were given the, uh, the, the covenant, the old covenant. They were given the Ten Commandments. They were set apart for God's purpose. And then you had everybody else. But here's the thing. Don't think for a second that God didn't intend for everybody else to be a part of his family. That was God's plan from day one. He just chose the Jews to be his example, to be the model of what he wanted everyone. He could have used anyone. He could have used a totally different group. But he chose, by his grace, the Jewish community. So, But we were always a part of God's plan. Now, it was difficult for these two groups to accept each other. I mean, think about it. This was a mixed-up group. Some were slaves, some were free. Some were rich, some were poor. Some were strong believers. And there were some who were still weak in their faith. So it was difficult for them to accept one another. Now we're talking about hundreds of years of segregation here. Because the Jews did not associate with the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, this guy named Jesus comes, and he brings this message. He dies on a cross. This group emerges, and they're now saying, guess what? God wants all nations to receive salvation. He wants all nations. All nations are his chosen people. So it's not just salvation doesn't just rest with the Jews. Now the Gentiles have been included. In an inheritance that was once set apart for the Jews. Imagine being separated from a group for hundreds of years and then all of a sudden at one fell swoop, boom! You're thrown in a room together. And not only that, but you're having communion in your homes together. Imagine what those first communion service, that first church service must have looked like, must have felt like. Bro, can you uh, pass the bread? Uh, okay. You know the rich people were the ones who were housing, so you they they were used to house. You know, they were used to hosting other wealthy people, and now you got these ragtag poor people coming in your house, and you're like, man, okay, uh, make sure you put all those expensive vases and girl, put that expensive that that Egyptian perfume, hide that. I mean, isn't that the temptation? People you don't trust, you don't know, they come over to your house and all of a sudden they're your brother and sister in Christ. They still had to deal with a lot of those feelings. And so Paul said, we got to accept each other. we got to accept one another. You know, I think we, we know what that looks like without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Just look back at the civil rights movement. Brown versus Board of Ed, the Jim Crow laws. When all those things were finally ended and all these people were thrown together, it was not a smooth transition. It's no different with the church. In fact, you read, they were still dealing with issues. The Hebraic Jews and the Grecian widows, I mean, they were... They were going through why were they treated better than us? And they were you know, the some were overlooked, and and I don't think it was intentional. I just think everybody was taking care of their people. And the disciples had to step in there and say, hey guys, this isn't good. This is not good. This has got to change. First Corinthians eleven, he's talking about the issue of communion. You had the wealthy, the, the wealthy Christians partying, getting drunk on the communion food and and, and the love feast. And then you had the poor Christians who were on the outside who didn't get to to participate in the love feast. So they had to deal with those issues. And let's not be naive and think that these same issues don't exist today. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 19, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I think it's important. If you leave here with one thing, I want you to understand that we are all significant in the eyes of God. We are all invaluable in the eye, regardless of how you may feel about yourself and your place in life. You are valued by God. You are precious in his sight. You mean something to him. Even if sometimes you don't feel like it with everyone else. You know, Christ wants us all to feel like we belong. A great picture of this we know is in Acts chapter 2, verse 43. We know this backwards and forwards. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple's courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord gladly added to their number daily those who were being saved. These were Jews who were from other nations. And by the power of God and his Holy Spirit, they came together and this new community formed to show the world that this is possible. That we can come together. You don't think Jesus had to accept some of the crazy quirks and 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 things that the the, the twelve apostles brought to the table? I mean, Peter alone. I just imagine. I'm like, how many times did Jesus? apart that time, him going in secluded places and praying up on the mountains, probably asking God for patience to deal with Peter alone. God, he he just blew. He he rebuked me in front of the group. God, give me strength. With Peter. And then you got James and John off to the side fighting about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit at his right and his left. Jesus had to deal with some people. He had to deal with some personalities. Not, you know, not forgetting that you got somebody dipping in the contribution. Who's going to eventually betray you. Jesus accepted all of those quirks and imperfections and, and, and. And, you know, he he accepted all the differences. He didn't expect them all to be like each other. And that's what makes our family great, is that we are different, is that we all bring something different to the table. And just because you're different doesn't mean you don't belong here. So what does it mean to accept one another? Well, taking people into our homes, as well as into our hearts. You know you accept people if you invite them over. One bedroom, two bedroom it doesn't matter. I'll stand up. Just, just invite me over. You know, you, you invite people over, that's, you, you accept them. Sharing meals and activities together. Avoiding racial and economic discrimination. Going out of our way to avoid showing favoritism. And let me, be, let me be clear on this because you're like, well, James, I don't show favoritism. What about to your race? That's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about you only open the door for the sisters or the young sister or the oldest sister. I'm talking about who do you associate with? Who do you fellowship? Now, naturally, we go to the people that are just like us. But if we're disciples in Christ and we're loving one another and accepting one another, how about watching some of the World Cup with your Latin brothers and sisters? How about having having some of the brothers over to have some of that good Spanish cooking that I know y'all be sharing with each other? I like Spanish rice and beans. I like You know, I love all types of ethnic foods. There's not much I don't eat. So don't use that as an excuse with me. Well, James, you might not like this. Try me. (laughs) But I think sometimes we, we show favoritism to the people that we're most comfortable with. Because it's easy. Making a conscious effort to greet those you don't normally talk to. You know you accept people when you, the way you greet them. We, 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 when you greet people, that's a, that's, that's a communication of acceptance. I accept you as my brother, sister, in Christ. Hey, we, if you've been in this church for multiple years and you only know a handful of people, something's wrong. I remember as a young Christian, my discipling and partners challenged me to, know, to, to meet five new people. Each week in the church. Five new people. And it was uncomfortable because I'm more of an introvert. I'm not a guy that'll go and just initiate a conversation. So that was a challenge for me. But I, I appreciated that because I got to know a lot of brothers and sisters right there in my local church. And then because of that that habit. I would go to different devotionals and different conferences, and I would meet different people in different churches, and it was awesome. Harlem is a great ministry, but you need friends outside of Harlem. You go to this Thrive Conference, don't just hang out with people from Harlem, meet other people. Make it, but you got to be delivered. you got to make a conscious effort about it. It also means not passing judgment on one another. Romans chapter 14, verse 1, says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. You know, sometimes disputable matters can keep us from accepting one another. The Jews were used to the Old Testament way of doing things. And the Gentiles were saved under the New Covenant. So they were learning how to follow Jesus and set aside their idols and and also, love up on these Jews, the, the Jewish people who consider them less than them before Christ. So, there was a lot of getting used to here. There were a lot of differences that had to be set aside, and a lot of grace exercised from both groups. But we can relate to this, right? I mean, it's not a, it's like an issue between old math and new math. Yeah, you know, those are disputable matters. My kids bring home their homework, and as dad, I try to be good and try to help them with their math. Now, math is not my strong suit to begin with. So when you introduce a new math on top of that, I'm like, what, why, why are we changing math? Why are we changing math? You know, between you and I, we went to school and our children, our grandchildren who are going to school now, this new direction was introduced in math. And we give it this title, new math, right? In new math, the answer is the same. But the method to get to the answer has changed. I like saying two plus two is four. The answer is the same, but the method to get to there is to change. When the method changed, so did the standing of who was stronger in math. In the old way, I was strong. I could help my son. Come on, boy. You know, 7 minus 5 is 2. 6 times 6 is 36. I mean, come on, multiplication table. You know, I was strong in it. When you use the older system to get the answer, they can't understand. Our children, they needed a new system to get the same answer. We find it more complicated and harder for us to do. And we're used to the old ways. And we find it difficult to accept this new method, this new way of doing things. We are the stronger in the old way, and our kids are weaker. But if you tried helping, poor kid's getting exasperated. Children can't, exp- they can't understand how we get the answer because all they know is this new way now. So they're like, how did you get six times six is 36? Like, how did you get there? Oh, well, because six times six is 36. <laughs> That's how I got there. In the new system, the kids are the stronger ones. And we're the weaker ones. Because we can't understand how they solved that problem. I love this scene in uh, The Incredibles. When the father was trying to help his son with the new math. He got so frustrated. He said, math is math, this math is math. Why did they change math? The bottom line, though, is that we both solve the problem. We just do it in different ways. But we arrive at the same answer. I prefer the old math. My kids are learning the new math. Neither one of us is right or wrong. You, you tell me what you prefer. See, God, see, I try to figure it out now. Y'all like, what is that? Why? Do I... And, you know, see, just as perplexed as you are right now about this new man, we got some Christians who have, we got some new Christians who are like, well, why are we doing it that way? Why don't we just do it this way? And you're like, well, because we're used to doing it the other way. But I don't understand. Why are we doing it that way? Because that's how we always done it. And so we gotta have, we gotta acceptance is the bridge that brings the old and the new together. And we just have to accept, you know, Raul's gonna do things his way, Desmond's gonna do things his way. As long as it comes to the same Resolution, the same answer, does it really matter how we got there. That's acceptance. Is that, look, we're going for the same goal, which is to love one another. Which is to to bring people to God, to help build people up. So if you decide that, you know, you want to walk over and you want to sit down with the person and have a book, a, a, a page Bible, and, and you you want to open it up and flip through the pages and, and, and have your, your, your disciples' time with them and study the Bible, then amen. Some people look at that as the old way because they would rather turn on their Bible and punch in the verse. Does it matter? Does it make him more spiritual because he's using a Bible with pages than the one that's using the one without? What do you think God is focused on? That person receiving salvation you know sometimes these things can make us insecure because you're like well i don't have a you know i'm not doing it that way i'm not going to be accepted and then some of you feel like well i'm still i'm doing it the old way the younger guys aren't going to accept me and so we gotta we gotta accept each other the way on our differences now here's the thing that's just one disputable matter. Some of us love the new math. Some of us prefer the old math, right? But there are disputable matters in the Bible, or, or there are disputable matters, and there's some indisputable matters, right? What are some disputable matters? Drinking alcohol. Some people are dead set against it. They feel like some Christians should not drink alcohol whatsoever at all. That's a disputable matter. Believe it or not, that's a disputable matter. Now, drunkenness is a sin. But it doesn't say, now, I think it comes down to, again, if the person is weak and they can't handle it, then as loving brothers and sisters in Christ, what should we do? Make them accept? No. You got to take that in consideration. Gambling, playing Lotto, some of us play it every week. Some of us are like, bro, but I do it because, you know, hey, bro, you never know. I become a millionaire, I can buy us a building. Bro, I'm doing it for the Lord. Scratch it off of Jesus. Some people, they're fine, totally fine with gambling. Some people aren't, right? It's a disputable matter. Movie choices. Some people think that it's a sin to watch rated R movies. And they feel strongly about it. And they feel strongly against it. And then there's some who can sit there and watch it and not be bothered at all by it. Disputable matter. Music choices. Some people think that hip-hop is the devil's music. I heard that all my life growing up didn't stop me from listening to hip-hop music. I can't count on my fingers how many times I heard devil worship in hip-hop. I'm like, ain't nobody preaching dev- Satan? I'm like, why is it the devil's music? Yeah, it was because my religious parents didn't like it. Does that make me less spiritual because I like to listen to a little Nas every now and again? I mean, that, a little KRS-One? I mean, well, bro, Hold up, bro. It's okay if you listen to Christian hip-hop. All right, I like a little Lecrae every now and again, but, you know, I mean, you know, like, every what? I work out to hip-hop music. Does that mean I'm not spiritual because I listen? I mean, so, again, music choice is a disputable matter. Wealth, a disputable matter. Can you be a Christian and have expensive things? Can you be a Christian? Look at that. I was like, yep. <laughs> Can you be a Christian and drive an expensive car? Live in an expensive house? Now, you know who have issues with that? Poor people. Other wealthy Christians don't have a problem with you driving a Benz because they got their BMW parked right next to yours. Those of us who are driving our 2009s and our 1999s and we got some of us, you know, we feel a kind of way when we see somebody pull up in the parking lot all nice and easy and, you know, ain't no black smoke coming out the tailpipe. <laughs> you might feel a kind of way you walk into somebody's apartment and say, wow, those are tiles. They're not, that's not linoleum." We get divided about Tylenolium. I can't even pronounce the thing right. (laughs) The military. Can you be a Christian and go to war? Disputable matter. Capital punishment. Do we believe in the death penalty? Again, a disputable matter. Some people are strong on certain things, and some people are, I don't know, it depends. Experimental research like stem cells and cloning, things like that. Some people, again, how could you be a Christian and or why would you not? And this is big, and I didn't think this was that as big, but it is big, and especially recent political party affiliations. I have actually heard some Christians say all Christians should be Democrats. And I've heard someone preach strongly that all Christians should be Republicans. Very divided, and some people are dead set on 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 either one of the of the two. And celebrating holidays, celebrating holidays. Should Christians celebrate Easter? Should we celebrate, you know, Christmas? Should we celebrate Halloween? These are all disputable matters. All disputable matters. There's not one scripture that points directly to say, do not do this or do this. In fact, Paul goes off and says, look, if someone chooses one day more special than the other, so what? If he chooses to celebrate this new moon festival and you choose not to, he's not less spiritual than you because you choose not to. That's what he chooses to do. It's a disputable matter. These are just a few disputable matters that I came up with, you know. But these have the potential of dividing God's people when we're so strongly about these things. Now, look, if you have strong conviction, on any of those disputable matters, guess what? we got to accept that. We have to respect each other's conviction. Just because I'm strong and one and you're not does not make me better than you or more spiritual than you. It just means that we have differing opinions. That's all that means. Now, Paul's attitude was this. In Romans 14, verse 13, Paul says, Let us stop passing judgment on one another, Instead, make up your your mind not to put any stumbling blocks or obstacle in your brother's way. You know, Paul's attitude was, accept your brother and your sister's convictions. We're not better than those who can handle what we can and vice versa. And we should never ask anyone to violate their conscience. We need to be very careful of practicing our convictions around people who may struggle. If You're gonna to go to a movie with a brother and sister and you wanna see this rated R movie and you know that they don't, don't make them feel uncomfortable by voting them out. Find something safe. What, it, doesn't it matter more that you have a good time rather than somebody sitting through a two and three hour movie feeling uncomfortable? I mean, what matters more? That you host an event knowing uh, I'm inviting this one, I'm inviting this one, I'm inviting this one. We plan to have alcohol there, but this one doesn't. So, what would be best for me to appease those who really don't care, or for me to really take and consider my brother and sister that's coming that could struggle with this incentive spiraling out of control? It's not that serious. It's not that serious. We should never ask anyone to violate their conscience, even if it doesn't make any sense to us. You know, what I love about Paul is that he didn't get caught up in the who's right and who's wrong. It was all about love. It's all about love. That's the most important thing, is that your brother and your sister feel accepted by you. That's it. Now, here's the thing. Paul is calling us to accept one another, but he says, as Christ accepted us. So how did Christ accept us? Now think about that before you answer, because you've got to think about, well, how did Christ accept me, right? Now, when we come to Christ, he'll, he'll, he'll open his arms to us. He welcomes everyone that comes to Him. I mean, you read through the Gospels, there are people whose society had ruled out. People that society had ruled, uh, uh, you know, unfellowshipable, if there was such a word. And they just did not fellowship with him. There's was one guy they had chained up in the graveyard. There were you know, women who, who they wouldn't even invite them into their homes. And these were the spiritual leaders at the time. And Jesus came in and turned everything on, upside on his head and fellowshiped people who everybody else was like, what? How could he be the Messiah and, and spend time with sinners? And so Jesus made people feel like rock stars. People fell, sinners fell at his feet because he accepted them. But here's the thing. He didn't approve of how everyone lived. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. I can accept you into my home, but I'm not going to approve of you smoking in my home. There's a big difference. Now, if you want to smoke, you can go outside and come back in. Simple as that. I'll accept you at the dinner table, but I'm not going to approve of you cursing at my dinner table. There's a big difference. And I think the world wants us to accept their disputable matters. And you can't accept me. If you don't don't accept my disputable matters, then you don't accept me. You know, Jesus had a problem with that, and God had a big problem with that. Jesus accepted the world when they responded to the love of God through repentance. And you know, those those matters that the world wants us to accept and that we used to accept, those are the matters that put Jesus on the cross. And we can't forget that. You know, there are matters that the world tries to make disputable that really are indisputable in the eyes of God. Look at Romans chapter 1. Verses 20, we're bringing this to a close. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 32. They're disputable manners that are indisputable in the eyes of God. In verse 20 it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to the shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, and they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, they're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decrees that though those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You know, God accepts anyone who comes to Him and wants and desires a relationship with Him. But there are certain. Behaviors that God does not approve of and will not approve of ever just to make us feel accepted. And we got to be very careful that as we're accepting people, we're not accepting just anything and everything. Because if, if, if God is to be praised, then we got to accept the things that God accepts. And just because it makes you feel more comfortable around people to accept their lifestyle doesn't mean that God approves of that. They're robbing themselves of true happiness by living outside of God's will for their life. So even though we accept people, like I have family members, you know, I'm standing, we're standing at the barbecue, we're standing there, and we're having a conversation and they're smoking and, you know, and nobody asked me if it bothered me. But, you know, they're my family. I accept them. But I don't approve of it. If they asked me if it bothered me, I'd say yes, that does bother me. So there is accepting because we're loving, we're family, but then approving of certain behavior, we can't unless people will be given over to a depraved mind. And once that happens, not only will they continue to live that way, they're going to approve of others who live the same way. And when that happens, you have a society of people who approve of other people living outside of God's will, and now those who don't accept that become the enemy. So in the church, we have to make sure that people feel loved and belonged, like they belong here but that we're also encouraging each other to live within God's will for our lives. When we repent and we give God our whole hearts and our whole minds, our lives change for the better. Our lives change for the better. We don't regret that. I don't know if anyone has ever regretted being forgiven. I don't know anybody who's ever been depressed because they were forgiven of their sins. The world tells us, I not only want you to accept me, but I also want you to approve of my practices. You know, God makes it very clear what we're to accept and what we're not to accept. In James chapter 1, and we'll close here, in verse 21, 27, it says, Religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world looking after one another keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world that's what god accepts and we need to ask ourselves am i living a lifestyle that god accepts and if not do you need to ask yourself another question why not if i'm not living a life that god accepts why not why not in genesis 4 verse 7 if you do what is right will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. If we do what's right, God will accept us. God will accept everything that comes from our life because we're, we're trying to do the right thing. But if we don't do the right thing, sin is waiting to snatch us into a life of depravity. Into a life that will do exactly what God does not want us to do. And that's not what's going to bring God praise. God will accept us if we do what's right. And we have to reflect God's love with one another. So if you go out today and your brother and your sister say, wait a second, let me stop by the store and get me a mega millions. Amen, brother. You go right on ahead. Get one for me. Get one for me. Or if you get get invited to a a function and your brother, your sister says, hey, there's going to be alcohol there. Do you feel comfortable with coming or not? If they don't feel comfortable, don't make them feel guilty. Don't make them feel bad. You know what? Amen. I understand. I respect your conviction on that. we, We won't go. We won't go. Or if you're hosting, you know, I personally, I try to err on the side of caution. I just assume everybody has an alcohol issue. Or if they don't, they will if there's a lot around them. Because, let's be honest, sometimes when you're having a good time, it's hard to keep count of how many of those Shirley Temples you had or or whatever you want to call it, whatever your your drink of choice is. Err on the side of caution. Err on the side of love. Amen? Amen. God be the glory.